The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today it's time for the weekly show with my good friend, excellent researcher, missionary, Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And uh, Peter's been hard at work, as always, on a presentation this week, which is entitled The Real Story of Idolatry the most condemned sin in the Bible. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today? Well, a lot of people might think idolatry, uh, isn't that something for India where they've got uh, statues of Krishna and Hanuman and uh, uh, Brahman and so on, and uh, isn't this a bit of a problem for maybe a few millenniums ago? Yes, the people of Israel had these Baal and Asherah things, so it's not really relevant to us today. But uh, uh, it's interesting to note that idolatry is the most condemned sin in Scripture. In fact, Jerusalem was destroyed and all the people of Judea were sent into exile for the express sin of idolatry and northern kingdom of Israel as well. So God obviously takes this very seriously. But I've noticed that we've got programs today called Idols. And people speak about Hollywood idols and sports idols and music idols and sex idols. And there's no doubt that there's a lot of idolatry in politics. And uh, the most blatant example of idolatry in politics has got to have been in the communist world, statues of Vladimir Lenin and at one time Stalin even, and of course Karl Marx. And uh, it, it may boggle the brain to know that our friends in Russia tell us that after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, they toppled 28,000 statues of Lenin and Karl Marx in the old Soviet Union and what became the Russian Federation. 28,000? I mean, every single little village had to have had a statue of Lenin. So it just, uh, you know, boggles the brain that there could have been so many statues uh, of, um, of this idol. And of course, you had the party faithful lining up at Lenin's tomb to see their god uh, try to preserve the corpse inside this pyramid-type temple, which was modeled, interestingly enough, on Tutankhamun's uh, grave, uh, because you might recall it when Lenin died. It's about the same time that the real Lord Carnarvon, uh, from where the real 
uh, Downton Abbey venue is who had actually been part of the discovery of, of Tutankhamun's grave in 1924. So uh, interesting that that led to them designing a uh, Egyptian pyramid-type house of the dead to preserve the body of Vladimir Lenin and start a new personality cult. So, uh, and millions, tens of millions of communists have, through the years, lined up to often trudge through the snow to see the corpse of Lenin, which they saw some kind of god. And of course, on May Day, 1st of May, every year, the, the most important uh, day in the occult calendar and the satanic calendar, a human sacrifice day, they would have the Red Army marching past the tomb of Lenin in Red Square, just outside the Kremlin, and the entire upper echelon of the Politburo of the Soviet Union, from the chairman down, would be standing above the bones of Lenin to receive the march past. I mean, the symbolism just uh, is, is extraordinary. But idolatry is a real problem today. And look what the scripture has to say. Uh, just starting with uh, Romans 1, 18 to 25. For the wrath of God, the anger of God, is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, an idol. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever and ever. So the wrath of God, the anger of God is revealed from heaven against the ignorance, the foolishness, the darkness, which manifests itself in idolatry. And throughout the Bible, commandments and warnings against idolatry are the most repeated of all. And one of the most dramatic examples of this is that God abandons the whole of the northern kingdoms of Israel to be defeated by the Syrians and sent into exile. And then when Jerusalem is destroyed in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian forces, and uh, many of the top leaders, people such as Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, end up in Babylon in exile. So the Lord couldn't have made it clearer that he doesn't give a blank check to anyone, and he takes idolatry very seriously. Exodus 20, verse 4 to 6, the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, you shall not bow down to them, nor shall you serve them. Leviticus 19, do not turn to idols, do not make for yourselves molded gods, I am the Lord your God. Ezekiel 14, which is given to the people who have just been sent into exile after the destruction of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your face away from all these abominations. For anyone who sets up an idol in his heart, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. Now that's interesting too. It's not just setting up an idol on your mantelpiece. It's not just having a physical idol in your household. It's putting an idol in your heart. And it gets further. In Galatians 5, we read the list of the works of the flesh. So just before you get the fruit of the Spirit, you read about the works of the flesh. And so Galatians 5, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, 
uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. All those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's pretty clear in Galatians 5. Idolatry is smack in the middle of the worst kind of sins imaginable. And in many ways, idolatry shows itself in that fruit of hatred and lewdness. And you look at what's going on in the world today, just like the Black Lives Matter movement, and the way how it's idolatrous at the core. And there's so much malice and hatred and contentions, and there's so much murders and uncleanness and lewdness, and it all goes along with idolatry. Idolatry is, in many ways, a root sin. The Apostle John beseeches us in 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, of course, when the British went to India, they immediately saw very visible examples of idolatry, uh, idols of Kali, uh, before whom they actually offered human sacrifices, Shiva, Krishna, Vishnu. Now, those are all obviously idols, and uh, bowing down to them is uh, forbidden by the second command. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 to 21, the apostle Paul writes, rather the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Are we stronger than God? So 1 Corinthians 10 makes it clear that when people are making sacrifice to false gods, to idols, they're actually sacrificing to demons. Deuteronomy 32 says they provoke God to jealousy with foreign gods, which were abominations, which provoke God to anger. They sacrificed to demons and not to God. So those people are burning incense before Nero or worshipping before the Asherah poles or the Baal altars. And bear in mind, Asherah poles were pornographic. Baal altars were where they sacrificed babies. So the, uh, the Baal altars were literally like abortion clinics of today where they were killing babies uh, in the hope that they would become more prosperous by sacrificing their children. And it was not just a fertility cult, it was a prosperity cult. And many people today decide to kill their babies because, well, it's going to interfere with my studies or my job or my work or my reputation. Or in some way, there is a, an idea of if I want to get ahead in life and succeed, I sacrifice my child. Not much difference between abortion today and Baal worship back in the days of Israel. And so... Uh, you read also about their sacrificing to demons. When they are worshipping before idols, they're actually sacrificing to demons. Behind every idol is a demon, we read. Exodus 34 says, you shall destroy their altars. What altars? The altars on which they're sacrificing babies. Human sacrifices was part of the worship of Moloch and Baal and Kronos, all these false gods. Break their sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Now, bear in mind, jealousy is not necessarily a bad thing. It's good for a husband to be jealous of his wife. It's good for a wife to be jealous of her husband. In it, there's an exclusive love, a partnership between one man, one woman for life. And it's quite uh, correct for God to be jealous for the loyalty of his people. That we would not be, um, <clears throat> uh, how do we put it, uh, 
whoremongering adulterers spiritually. And the Bible speaks about idolatry as spiritual adultery. And that we, just like your toothbrush is for your exclusive use only, you don't want everyone using it. Uh, similarly, God does not want uh, his people to be used to the world or worshipping the idols of the world. And then Jeremiah 7 gives us very descriptive exposure of adultery. The children gather the wood, the fathers kindle the fire, the women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Therefore, says the Lord, behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place. It'll burn and not be quenched. And that was a prophecy in Jeremiah 7 of the destruction of Jerusalem, where God abandoned his city, his temple, his people, because they were unfaithful. They were idol worshippers. Now, as a missionary who's been serving the persecuted church for 38 years now, ministered in 38 countries uh, uh, all across uh, Africa and, and further field even uh, during the last 38 years, it's been very interesting to me to discover how Roman Catholics omit the second commandment to not bow before idols. And it's quite clear to me, particularly in Sudan, where people all want a copy of the Faith and Defiance Sudan book. And what I say is this costs $10 in America. This costs 10 commands in Sudan. You give me the 10 commands in English because the book's written in English. I'll give you a copy of Faith and Defiance Sudan, the book I wrote on the history and, and the strife. And people line up. And the moment... Uh, a Catholic starts to recite Ten Commandments, I know by number two, because uh, he, instead of having worship God alone as the first command, number two, do not bow before idols, number two, he has don't take God's name in vain. And number three is remember the Sabbath. And number four is honor your father and mother. And so he's he's one out from number two on that because the Roman Catholics omit number two. And to make up for taking out number two and keep Ten Commandments, they take the Tenth Command not to covet and separate into two with do not covet your neighbor's wife number nine and do not covet anything that that is your neighbor's as number 10. so when i point this out to people in the field especially in sudan and the congo um and um i say them i show them in exodus 20 and deuteronomy 5 that they've actually left out the second command they're shocked and they say well why would our church change the ten commandments and I sometimes point out, well, maybe it's because they have statues and crucifixes that they bow down to. And it's quite telling when you see that a church has to uh, fiddle with the Ten Commands and take out number two because they realize that could make them look pretty bad. So the Bible is very clear about the Ten Commands and the Westminster Catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, which came out of the uh, English Civil War, uh, in the uh, Palace of Westminster and Westminster Hall, uh, some of the greatest theologians of the time worked on this. Excellent summary. Uh, so they show the sins forbidden in each command. So under sins forbidden in the uh, second command would be the sin of enticing to idolatry. And, the sin, and they have scriptures backing each one up. The sin of approving any religious worship not instituted by God himself. The sin of tolerating false religion. The sin of making any representation of God. The sin of worshipping idols and images. The sin of making representations of imagined deities. The sin of superstition. The sin of corrupting the worship of God. 
the sin of adding to or taking away from the worship of God, the sin of simony, uh, that's like Simon who, Simon the sorcerer who wanted to offer money to buy the gift of God, and the sin of despising the worship and ordinances of God is also a breach of the second command. The sin of hindering and opposing the worship and ordinances of God, uh, such as woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven against men. So a lot of our government's actions these days, such as forbidding worship or forbidding churches to have free exiles of religious freedom or singing in church services and things like that under lockdowns in many countries, those would be breaching this command too, because not only is there a negative to each command, there's a positive. Uh, so, for example, do not steal uh, is the negative, but the positive would be respect property. And the negative of do not commit adultery would be uh, not to commit adultery, but the positive would be to be faithful to your wife. And uh, similarly, do not be a false witness. That's the negative. The positive would be to speak the truth. And uh, so it is with idolatry. Idolatry, do not uh, worship idols, is the negative, but the positive would be to worship the one true God in a way that he's, he's listed. So those are some of the sins forbidden, but then the duties required listed by the Westminster Lodge of Catechism is to receive and observe and keep pure and entire all such worship and ordinances as God has instituted in his word, the Bible, particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ, to read the word of God, to hear the word of God, to administer and receive their sacraments, the duty of church government and discipline, the duty to receive and maintain the ministry, the duty to fast at the appropriate times, and the duty to disapprove of, to detest and to oppose all false worship. So there's a lot of biblical teaching on idolatry, more condemnations of idolatry than any other sin in the Bible. And the command against idol worship was actually broken before the word burned into the tablets of stone by the finger of God at Eden cooled. The Israelites fashioned a graven image of a golden calf right beneath the mountain of God while Moses was receiving ten commands. How much clearer could it be that the first uh, command broken was the command against idolatry? How could God's chosen people bow down before a cold, lifeless image of a golden calf when they had just witnessed the finger of God bringing the ten plagues on Egypt, proving all the false gods and idols of Egypt as powerless, including Apis, which was the what the golden calf was symbolizing. And how could they have been so unfaithful to God who had delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, carried them on eagles' wings, the one who had led them through the Red Sea with walls of fire on each side? How could they have lowered themselves to worshipping an idol, an idol which had been proved to be false and powerless before the one true God of heaven and earth, the creator, Yahweh, when they'd been fed with manna in the desert and satisfied with water from the rock in the wilderness, and they'd followed the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and then they turned to a golden calf. So it's a pretty shocking example of how faithless so many people can be. And Moses confronted his brother Aaron. And Aaron's attempts to excuse this abomination seem embarrassingly like our feeble attempts to justify disobedience to the clearly expressed word of God today. Aaron claimed they threw all the gold into the fire and out came the golden calf. Wow. Um, earlier, Aaron even claimed the feast before the golden calf would be held in honor of the Lord. Exodus 2 verse 5. 
And after King Solomon, many Israelites turned to the sin of idolatry. And Jeroboam had many golden calves fashioned for worship in Dan and Bethel. And all over Israel on countless hills and amidst clumps of trees, altars were erected to false gods of the Canaanites, Baal, Asheroth, Kronos, Moloch, all of which involved human sacrifice, especially the sacrifice of babies. And the consequence of this idolatry was judgment. And God sent the Assyrians to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and drive his people to exile. The southern kingdom of Judah was later conquered under Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And it took the furnace of affliction and slavery in Babylon to purge the dregs of idolatry from the hearts of God's people. And first under ministry of great prophets like Ezekiel and Daniel, and then after return from exile under Ezra and Nehemiah, the people were challenged to never, ever again compromise with idolatry. So Christianity cannot worship before the idolatrous altar of pluralism and multiculturalism and the interfaith movement. And those people today who are bowing down in the streets of America, lifting up their fist, apologizing for being white, uh, uh, mouthing the modern mantra of Black Lives Matter, to people who are pro-abortion, pro-pornography, pro-transgenderism, against the nuclear family, who are Marxist to the core, who are looting, burning, destroying, uh, who are as utterly wicked as comes. And the Bible says in Proverbs, to fall down before the wicked is like a polluted spring. And uh, it, it's just so disgusting to think that people who are meant to bow before God alone are bowing before antichrist Marxist revolutionaries who loathe and despise the family and who support everything from abortion through to transgenderism perversion. And so uh, what we're seeing today is people worshiping false gods. What you have today is the blasphemy and the treason of the modern era is to say something against a politically correct crowd, uh, to be able to in any way question the modern idol of multiculturalism and interfaith and this idolatrous altar of pluralism, whatever that might mean. And so uh, the commandment, the second command, where uh, we're commanded not to bow before idols, is the only commandment where God implies that those who break this command hate him. To worship a false god, to bow before any image, or to attempt to worship God through some kind of statue image, is defined in the second command as hating God. And it will bring God's judgment on the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. So we should notice that the second command does not forbid artistry. The second command forbids idolatry. On the same day that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he gave Moses detailed instruction for the building of the tabernacle, which included numerous visual arts. And Exodus 25 and Exodus 26 include details for the tabernacle, the curtains, the Ark of the Covenant, even for the statues and angels over the Ark of the Covenant. And so three functions of art have been identified by church councils. Two are acceptable and the third is forbidden by the second command. So art may be used for decoration. Art may be used as a teaching tool. But art may not be used for devotional purposes for worship. So God is a God of beauty. He is the great artist. He's the greatest artist. And his creativity and love of beauty is seen in his magnificent creation and the sunsets and sunrises, the mountains, the trees, the plants, the flowers, the seasons, the oceans, the sky itself. So God intends that we exercise the talents he entrusts us to beautify his world further. And so artistry is not forbidden. 
And art can also be used for teaching, for instruction. And it's perfectly acceptable to produce and use pictures of Noah and the ark and the animals and Moses parting the Red Sea and David defeating Goliath and Elijah challenging the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and many other great Bible stories. What the second command is forbidding is the devotional use of art. God himself is greater than his creation, everything in it. And so the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563 asks, must we then not make any images at all? Answer, God cannot and may not be imaged in any way, but may not images be tolerated in churches as books of the laity? The answer is no. We should not be wiser than God who will not have his people taught by dumb idols, but by the lively preaching of the word of God. So God is spirit and worship must be in spirit and truth. God is infinite. He is eternal and perfect. And how can you depict eternity and perfection and infiniteness in, in art? How can any artist depict holiness and unlimited wisdom and power? God forbids any representation of himself because his nature is too great to be drawn or depicted. And so this command requires that our worship be simple and spiritual, free of elaborate human gimmicks and ornamentation. God has designed a way of worship through intelligent, sincere, wholehearted words, said and sung, preached and prayed. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth by the word of God. We must prepare our hearts, humble ourselves, confess our sins, be grateful for his many blessings and rejoice in the Lord with all of our hearts. But it is acceptable to depict Christ in artwork because he came to this world and he had a human face and he had a physical body. He is the son of God, but he's also son of man. You cannot depict the uh, the God-like characteristics of Christ adequately in, in art, but you can depict him as he was as the son of man. And so uh, we need to uh, be careful that it's done in the most respectful way possible. But nevertheless, it is acceptable for educational purposes to have depictions of Christ, but not for devotional. We don't bow down to a picture or a statue or crucifix of Christ. Uh, we bow down to the one true God. And so um, it's uh, important for us to be able to recognize the modern idols. And when we have people today worshiping sports idols, political idols, sex idols, musicians who described as idols, there's no doubt that people make idols of their favorite political party. The Soviet Union made a god of the party and they instituted idolatrous pilgrimages to Lenin's tomb. And Abraham Lincoln's monument in Washington, D.C. is described as a temple to enshrine the memory of this president forever. Abraham Lincoln, who saved the Union. I mean, it's in uh, enshrined in his temple as in the hearts of his people. <laughs> it's so idolatrous. And the size, the absolutely grotesque size of the uh, idol to Abraham Lincoln on the Washington Mall in Washington, D.C. is just staggering. And uh, very rebellious, very religious words. And there's no doubt that Michael King, who is often called Martin Luther King Jr., not that he was a, ever named Martin Luther King, uh, his uh, legal name was Michael King, it was never officially changed. And anyway, he wasn't a doctor, nor was he a reverend, and it's been proven his doctoral thesis was all plagiarism, and uh, the man was obviously a Marxist, and there's a whole lot more you can say on, on uh, Michael King, or as he's known today, Martin Luther King, and uh, or Martin Lucifer King, as some people say. Uh, he is a national idol in America, just like 
Nelson Mandela's an idol in South Africa, just like Winston Churchill's an idol in Britain. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter how much feet of clay they had. Uh, you've got to just accept the myth and the legend and the official narrative uh, if you want to be considered politically correct. And Hollywood has attempted to make the world idolize those they term as stars. And many of these stars have been made by uh, perverts like Harvey Weinstein, uh, who is a sexual predator and rapist. Uh, and we shouldn't be surprised that perverts produce a pretty sick, blasphemous, anti-Christian uh, entertainment industry results, because just look at the root and you'll understand the fruit. And you see double standards. Friends of mine who ministered on a university campus related to me how one individual was incensed that the president of South Africa at that time was referred to by his bare surname. The man had mentioned Mbeki, who was Nelson Mandela's deputy and became president after Mandela resigned. And the man screamed out, that's President Tabu Mbeki to you. And shortly after that, that same individual who had rebuked the Christian for uh, using just the bare surname of the president, he used the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a blasphemous way. And that opened himself up to the response of, um, that's the Lord Jesus Christ to you. And what comes into our mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And all too often people portray the idolatry in their minds in how they speak of God. Just take Archbishop Desmond Tutu, or as many people call him, Archheretic Desmond Tutu. He was quoted on the front page of daily newspapers and sort of declaring, my God isn't homophobic. I could never worship a God who's against homosexuals. Tutu even declared, if homosexuals are not allowed into heaven, then he didn't want to go there. I mean, how's that for idolatry? Far more important than God, his law, his word, his standards, is homosexual rights or privileges for perverts. And in this way, uh, Tutu said, if God didn't uh, support homosexuals, then he, Tutu didn't want to go to heaven. Well, I don't think he needs to worry about that. So when people talk like this, they reveal that they've fashioned a God in the factory of their minds. So you have some people saying, my God would never condemn anyone to hell. My God would never judge homosexuals. Well, my Jesus supports and they come out with their politically correct nonsense. Well, when they say that, they revealed that they are worshipping an idol. They've manufactured a god, small g, in a factory of their mind. Of course, their god would never be harsh and judgmental. Of course, their god would never condemn anyone to hell because his or her god does not exist. It's a figment of his or her imagination. And when people have done this, they're speaking like this, They've invented a god or an idol to suit their own purposes, and this is the essence of idolatry. And you've got to say a lot of people out there today, especially the people bowing down uh, with the BLM slogans and uh, raising the fist and repeating the mantra like Caesar's Lord, Black Lives Matter, and so on, what they're doing is they are engaging in idolatry. And the fact is there's only one true God. The God of the Bible is the only God. He's a God of love, but he's also a God of light. He's not only gracious and merciful, he's also holy and just. God is not only a savior, he's the eternal judge. The God of the Bible, the one true God, the creator who made heaven and earth, he gave us his 10 commands. He sent plagues upon Egypt. He destroyed the pursuing army of Pharaoh in the Red Sea. He sent fire himself upon the wicked inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
that's the only true God there is. And you can't censor God and edit God and refashion God uh, to make him like one of these fake uh, uh, idols of Marvel comics, you know, Captain America type nonsense. The day will come when each one of us will have to stand before Almighty God, before his judgment seat, and give an account of our lives. So you have an appointment, and it's an appointment you will not be able to miss. It's an appointment you will not be able to even be late for. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that to face judgment. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what is most important to us? What is our highest priority? Because anything more important to us than God is an idol, whether it's the party, whether it's his politics, whether it's fame, fortune, whether it is the sex idols, pop idols, Hollywood idols, music idols, uh, whatever idols it is, fun, fashion, fortune, fame, success, fancy car, their home, their iPhone, their computer, their prestige, their popularity, their possessions, a certain relationship. There's so many idols. As John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. But nothing must be more important in our lives than Almighty God. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father, the Creator and Eternal Judge, is of the highest importance. And so it's noteworthy throughout the Bible that whenever God's word is proclaimed, the response of repentant people has been to destroy the idols. And when the Apostle Paul proclaimed the gospel in Ephesus, the people brought their occultic materials and they burned them. We read in Acts 19, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And again, I think we can see today that there is a tremendous need for us to, again, speak against idols, apply this biblical principle to the idols all around us and the idols in people's hearts, because what we're seeing is a phenomenal idol factory. Probably the biggest idol factory in history is Hollywood. And just about everything that Hollywood comes out with is blasphemous, idolatrous, anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Christian civilization. And a lot of the rot we see all around us can be put at the foot of Hollywood to a large extent. Of course, our education institutions must take a huge blame as well. But in many cases, our entertainment industry has been hijacked by antichrist elements, and they have managed to, in the guise of entertainment, defile, debase, and destroy so much of our heritage and even our history with the based on a true story, inspired by true events, most of which means some of this might have happened. Uh, the names and the places are true, but the facts have been distorted in order to protect the guilty and to uh, demonize the victims. And most of Hollywood's distortion of history is very anti-Christian and uh, extremely hostile to our civilization. So we need to repent of idolatry in our hearts, in our minds, and our lives. And where there's a physical idol, we should break, burn, or bury it. We should boycott hell by repenting. And James 1.21 says, therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the planted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the work and not hearers only deceiving yourselves so back to you Andrew uh, idolatry is the most condemned sin in scripture thank you so much uh, Peter and I've got a couple of um, points on that um, 
The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That seems clear enough, doesn't it? But if you're unable yes. to get through life without watching your favourite football team every week, would it not be fair to say that they're your gods? Or how about, as Peter said, being unprepared to speak the truth to others for fear of being labelled politically incorrect? Would that not make the governments who promote this doctrine or the people you risk offending your gods? And also, and um, if we look at uh, sort of 12-step programmes that are... Uh, you know, at the forefront of groups such as Alcoholic Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, they're regularly criticised for being overly religious when they promote the doctrine of a higher power or God, as we understand him. As that means a God of the members' own choosing, would it not be fair to say that these organisations are in clear breach of this first commandment? Um, you know, you pick your own God type of thing. Uh, and then just jumping forward, Peter, to uh, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So in other words, Satan and his angels deceived the whole world. Is that happening mm -hmm. today, folks? Let's think. What is promoted in the world today? Debt, which is economic slavery as a normal way of life, race mixing, homosexuality, abortion, materialism, making idols of sports and film stars, globalisation, etc, etc. And just finally, um, before I hand back to Peter for his comments, um, I regularly mention how they didn't do all of what they did until prayer was taken out of schools in America. Now, if you think, people think sort of 67, 68, you know, summer of love and all the hippie, all the free love, all the promiscuity, things like that. But if you look at who I consider were put there to kind of lead this change, and that was the band The Beatles, and they started off all clean cut in 1962 with Please Please Me. They stayed that way with, with the Beatles that came afterwards, and then I think you had... Uh, the Help album, then Beatles for Sale. And then they went over to Rubber Soul, which was like 1965. And that's when they started getting all the long hair, the mop tops and all that, which of course spearheaded this uh, hippie movement, this uh, descent into immorality. And in 1962, on June the 25th, prayer was banned from the American public school system following a Supreme Court decision. This court decision was based upon a case brought by a New York Jew named Engel in the case Engel versus Vitale. Senator Robert Byrd, a Democrat from West Virginia, stated of this decision, Can it be that we too are ready to embrace the foul concepts of atheism? Somebody is tampering with America's soul. I leave it to you who that somebody is. Peter, back to you. That is just so true. And yes, I think when we are afraid to speak the truth of God's word, when we're afraid to apply the clear principles of God's word and his commands to our present situation around us, which is often as plain as day and obvious, uh, it's out of fear. And that means we don't fear God, we're fearing man. And the Bible says that, am I now trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's in Galatians 1. So Paul says, if I'm trying to please men, then I'm not trying to please God. And here's the choice, fear God or fear man. Uh, please man or please God. Do we want to be faithful to the word of God or do we want to kowtow to the world? And the world system is in, in hostility to God. And particularly because the world today is being more shaped by Hollywood 
which is antichrist and blasphemous, then and pornographic, mind you. Now that we discover how much uh, the people running it, like Harvey Weinstein and many others like him, uh, are as perverse and vile as it comes in their personal lives. I don't know why people are surprised to hear that you know Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein or any of these other characters on there are as vile in their lives because look at what they promoted, look at what they produced, look at the kind of films that they endorsed. And just take the first thing you see when you see Mandela Long Walk to Freedom film is a Weinstein production, big and bold on the screen because Harvey Weinstein's made a lot of films promoting communist idols like Nelson Mandela and of course promoting perversion and so on. Uh, just think of, uh, I, I'm quite active on social media, especially since the lockdown, even more so because we can't travel as much as we used to. And uh, I posted an article just recently on uh, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, an ex-Mossad agent, published a book saying that Jeffrey Epstein was a Mossad agent of influence, and that, uh, as was Maxwell, and that they were particularly getting politicians into compromising situations that they could blackmail them uh, and use them to advance the interests of the state of Israel. Now, this is a book written by a citizen of Israel, a Mossad agent, and he's putting in his documentation, first-hand eyewitness materials. So anyway, just posted without comment this um, this uh, article, um, which is reviewing this book. And uh, immediately there were a bunch of people saying, I don't believe any of it. I don't believe that Israel, and they're talking about the political state uh, of Israel, not the biblical Israel. This confuses people um, because there's a political state in the Middle East that uses the term Israel. A whole lot of people think they carry biblical authority. But as you know, it's a secular state that actually persecutes Christians and is very anti-Christian many things. They've got legalized abortion, legalized pornography, legalized perversion in the state of Israel. And Tel Aviv uh, hosts a gay pride events, which is advertised by the Ministry of Tourism of the state of Israel. And uh, gays have voted Tel Aviv the most gay-friendly city in the world. But there are Christians, and by that I mean millions of Christians across America and South Africa and Australia and New Zealand and, and British Isles and probably further field too, who believe that we are uh, mandated by Scripture to wholeheartedly, unquestioningly support the state of Israel no matter what, which is quite bizarre because the verse they use for it is from uh, Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. And, and as expected, some people quoted that. You know, those who bless me are blessed, those who curse me are cursed. And they take this messianic psalm uh, and they apply it to a political state in the 21st century, which seems bizarre. Now, we know that the state of Israel today has legalized pornography, prostitution, perversion, and uh, whole lot, and of course abortion and so many other things that are wrong. Why would we assume that they get a blank check? Because in the history of Israel, as detailed plainly in Jeremiah, in Kings and Chronicles, God gave a writ of divorce to his people and he brought in the Babylonians to destroy the uh, uh, whole of Jerusalem and to put the people of Judah into exile. And before that, he had had the northern kingdoms of Judah destroyed and sent into exile. So God doesn't give a blank check to anyone. And all these condemnations against idolatry were given to the people of Israel. Now, the when the people of Judah considered going to support the state of Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, uh, when they were under threat, the prophet said, should you 
love the wicked and help those who hate the Lord. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Now, that's in the word of God, and it's applied specifically to Judah wanting to go to the help of Israel, northern kingdom of Israel. Should you help the wicked and help those and love those who hate the Lord, therefore the wrath of the Lord is against you. So uh, extraordinary uh, to think that people ignore most of the scripture, every one of the prophets who condemns idolatry in the state of Israel and the immorality and the interfaith and the ingratitude and so much else. And today you have these people using terms even like Judeo-Christian, which is nonsense because Judaism rejects Christ. Christianity is based in Christ. How can you have an antichrist Christian? How can you have a, as Jesus said, if you loved my father, you'd love me. If you love me, you'd obey my commands. And so how can God's people be people who reject Christ? By the very definition of the Bible in uh, the epistles of John, those who reject Christ are antichrist. And so uh, how, how can you have antichrist people of God? It, it's it's nonsense. It's like speaking about a God-fearing atheist. So, you know, an anti-Christian Christian. Judeo-Christian doesn't make sense. It's not a term you find in the Bible. And plainly, Genesis 12 is a Messianic prophecy, because in Galatians 3.16 we read, and to Abraham and a seed, not to seeds as to many, but to one seed, which is Christ. So the Bible is clear. Those who bless Christ will be blessed. Those who curse Christ will be cursed. But for people today to take a plainly messianic principle and apply it to a political state that rejects Christ, a secular state in the Middle East, and say that if you want to be blessed by God, you've got to uncritically, without reservations, support a political state in the Middle East in the 21st century, and that will determine your eternal destiny and your state of grace with God and all that. It doesn't make sense. That is idolatry as well. So there are a lot of people who have plainly made an idol of Judaism and the political state of Israel, that here you've got the plain example of, uh, it, it wasn't enough to see Karl Marx and Trotsky and Lenin and all the rest. Uh, they've got Harvey Weinstein and uh, Jeffrey Epstein before them, and evidence that Jeffrey Epstein was a Mossad agent. And no, it doesn't matter about the facts. Who cares about the facts? The important thing is, uh, the most important thing is we've got to support state of Israel. That doesn't even matter when, when I brought up uh, Galatians 3, which plainly shows that Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is a messianic prophecy. They didn't care even what the New Testament says. They don't care what the Old Testament says. They don't care what the Bible says. They don't care about anything because they've got a prior priority. And the most important thing in the world is Judaism and the political states of Israel and the Middle East. And if that's their priority, then that's an idol, is it not? Back to you, Andrew. Absolutely, Peter. And uh, you've prompted me to uh, mark up. I'm going to read this out. Uh, the book of John, chapter 8. We'll go from verse 31. Then Jesus said, Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house for ever, but the son abideth for ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. They then said they to him, We be not born of fornication, we have one Father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. That was verse 47 that I've just concluded with. Peter, we've got about three minutes left. Back to you for your comments. Yes, it's so important that we put God first, that we put the Bible first. If we're not building on the rock of God's word, we're building on the sand of human effort. And for people to put anything else in a place that should be for God alone is is absolutely catastrophic disastrous it's it's fatal eternally our, our eternal destinies depend on what is our foundation what do we believe who do we serve and idolatry that's why idolatry is such a problem and you just think of John Hagee in America who has said that it is blasphemous for Christians to share the gospel with Jews because they're really the people of God. And he tells his followers, you must not share the gospel with the Jews. Now, I cannot think of anything more hateful to anyone than to deny them the gospel. The only hope of salvation is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And if we are to love our neighbor, including our Jewish neighbor, we need to share the gospel with him. We need to present the word of God. We need to call him to repentance. There's no other way of salvation. God now commands all men everywhere to repent. And so uh, what a shame that some people have made such an idol of people that they deny them eternal salvation and the gospel of Christ. It is it is shocking. And this just shows how far adultery can go, that in the name of loving people, you can deny them what is the most loving and what is the only eternal hope for anyone. So it's so important that we get back to the Bible. Um, I've uh, done a whole series on, on expounding the Ten Commands, and, and what we've looked at today is just the second command, uh, uh, the command against idolatry. It's vital that we understand the Ten Commands, God's perfect law of liberty. This is what's missing. They've eroded the foundations of civilization, and we need to rebuild civilization on the Bible. It's vital for us to, to understand things from the perspective of God, our Creator and Eternal Judge, and we can do that by getting back to the Bible. And so we see what's wrong in society. 
but we don't only want to be those who expose what's wrong. We want to be those who light a candle, not just curse the darkness. And there is no doubt that the answers are in the scriptures, in the word of God. It was the word of God that made Britain great. When an African prince came to Queen Victoria, when she is the empress of the greatest empire the world ever seen, said, what is the secret of Britain's greatness? Queen Victoria presented him a Bible and said, this is the secret of Britain's greatness. And this also explains why Britain is no longer really great, because Britain has abandoned the word of God, and Britain is in sin, and Britain needs to get back to the word of God, and every nation needs to get back to the word of God. United States of America, my country, South Africa, we need to repent and go back to the word of God. And at the beginning, we will see immediately, just like we see throughout the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, when people are repentant and they come to God, they destroy the idols. So let's get rid of the idols in our hearts, the idols in our minds, <laughs> uh, just like the people in Russia took down their idols. And uh, in Lubyanka Square in Moscow, uh, you have the statue of Felix Dzinski, the founder of the Cheka, which became the NKVD and the KGB. It was toppled in 1991. And instead of the statue of this uh, bloodthirsty mass murdering criminal Felix Dzinski, there now is a stone. It's not just any stone, a stone from Solovetsky Monastery, from Solovetsky Island, the first prototype concentration camp of the Soviet Union, where 95,000 ministers of the gospel were murdered in the early 1920s under Lenin. And they brought a stone from this monastery and they put it in the same square where the statue stood. And this just reminds us of the words of Christ. The stone which the builders rejected as worthless has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be cut to pieces but on whomever it falls, it will crush him to dust. That's Luke 20. So make no mistake, there's a God in heaven. And just as in the vision of Daniel, the statue that symbolizes all the empires of the world will be smashed to pieces by the stone, which represents the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will grow to be a mountain that fills the whole earth. And so make no mistake, we should be on the victory side. If we are faithful to God, you can be sure he'll destroy all idols and every knee will bow before him. The question isn't, will you bow to Christ, but when will you bow to Christ? Either today in the day of grace or on the day of judgment when the door to heaven is closed and the day of grace is over. But every knee will bow. The question is, will you bow to Christ as Lord and Savior today or will you bow to him as eternal judge on the day of judgment? Thanks, Andrew. Back to you. Thank you so much, Peter. Fascinating study today. And uh, it was... Uh... Uh, blown away by it. it was excellent work as always Peter will of course be back with me at the same time next week I will of course be back with you all tomorrow thank you all for listening folks have a good day and bye for now <laughs>